going to jump in to looking at, at, at the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount since last year, and so we've been slowly journeying through uh, the way of Jesus and looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And I believe that today's passage is really, really critical for us and really, really important for us as we begin to understand what Jesus means when he says living in the kingdom. So Jesus comes, and as he comes, he proclaims and announces the kingdom of God. There is a new kingdom that has come, that we have access to that kingdom, that we have been given the same authority and power as, as Jesus, and that he's given us the keys to the kingdom. There is this huge proclamation of the kingdom of God, and the Sermon on the Mount is, is this great proclamation of a new kingdom has come, and this is how we live in the new kingdom. This is the way of Jesus versus the way of the world. This is the way that Jesus invites us to live. This is the way that he invites us to live and move in First Timothy this morning, and it says, practice these things. Live these things out. This is what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. This is how we practice our faith. This is how we inhabit our faith. This is how we live out our faith every single day, because some of us are really good on Sunday morning at living out our faith. We, we wake up early. We get all put together, we come in here, we put on the smiles, we live it out. The Sermon on the Mount is teaching us how do we become seven days a week Christians? How do we live this out? Because seven is far greater than one. How do we live that out over and over and over again? And today we're going to talk about the way of asking. Because if there is a kingdom that is available to us, if the keys to the kingdom are available, if Jesus' power and authority is available to us, then we get to ask for it. Like, I wonder how often we're satisfied with Easter Sunday. And so we enter into the rest of the year like, ah, oh, well, just whatever happens, happens. When Jesus is like, no, ask for more. We, asked, we baptized seven people last week. It was amazing. Right? It's incredible. You know what I want? I want seven people every week. Right? Let's go ten. Ten people every week. Right? I, I like, like there is this, we kind of just receive what's been given to us and we don't ask for the big things. I wonder when, if, if Jesus is asking us, like, ask me for more. Be the people who petition me for more. Be aware of the kingdom around you. Be aware of my presence and my power and my working around you. And it's so much bigger and it's so much more powerful. And there's so many more victories and wins available for us if we would just recognize he's at work. My daughter's playing soccer. Uh, she is on the worst soccer team in the history of soccer. Uh, and, and I don't say that, like, that is not hyperbole. It, it literally is the worst. They have lost every game by eight or more goals. They've scored one goal on the season. Yesterday, Sarah and I were watching, and God bless her, she's pretty good. It's the, re it's the rest of her team that's the problem, I'm certain of it. Uh, she... We were at the game yesterday, and, and, uh, and it was like halftime, and it was 10 to nothing. Uh, and we were sitting by this family, and Sarah just looked at me and said, well, it's a beautiful day outside. <laughs> at least we're outside, right? If we're going to do something, we might as well be outside today. Uh, but there was this little girl sitting next to her dad right beside us, and her, their, their daughter played for the other team, and so all the other team's parents start to feel bad when their children start murdering ours uh, midway through the game. And so they always say things like, well, your girls are pretty. 
like things like that. They just try and like throw things out there to like make us feel better. So we're talking to this dad. But here's what Sarah and I noticed. This little girl, and, and soccer games are, are, they're a thousand hours long when, when your team's losing 16 to nothing, right? Uh, like, like if it's a close game, it's great and it goes by fast and it's fun and, and I love soccer, but like when, when it's bad, it's bad. And it was, it was long, like that first hour I felt like was a week. I felt like I missed my preaching time on Sunday because I was at that game. Like it was so long. And this little girl sitting beside her dad, she must have been what, like four, five, six years old. She just literally for the entire game asked questions. Like everything. Like she was asking questions about the game, like, Daddy, why do they do this? Why why is that one team not very good? Like, why is why is this happening? And then she'd be like, Why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why is like she just and, and it was just rapid fire questions, one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. And finally the dad looked at her and Sarah and I both giggled when he said this. He said, Honey, you're out of questions for today. <laughs> like, that's enough. You've used all the questions that you have today. And sometimes I feel like we think that we are like that when we approach our father. That we're just annoying him, that that he's an irritated dad, and that we're just coming at him with all kinds of different things, uh, and and, and that we're bringing all of these things. Here's here's the good news I want to give to you today. Jesus never gets tired of you. God is not worn out with you. He's not tired of rescuing you. He's not tired of listening to you. He's not tired of being present to you. He's the best dad that we could ever imagine. Scripture says it's his pleasure to give us the kingdom, that he wants us to be in his presence, that he wants us to be intimate with him, that he wants us to be close to him. And so I believe there is a way of asking where we ask boldly, where we ask big things, where we ask for the kingdom, where we ask for more than what could happen in this room based on our skills and talents, based on what we can perform and conjure up, that we pray that the Holy Spirit of God does something in this place that actually impacts Cobb County and actually changes our community and actually makes a difference at Wheeler High School and actually changes the fabric of our community. I believe that Jesus can do those things. I also believe that we have to ask boldly. We have to awaken these kingdom dreams, but we also have to step into them and live them out and call them out. So the the way of asking is not always about getting what we want. It's about believing that God's way is best. It's not just about me petitioning him saying, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. When my kids were learning how to pray and they were young, the only thing they knew how to bring to the father was petition. Right? So the only thing they knew how to do was ask, can I have some more candy? Can I have, like, can we have a fun day tomorrow? Can that girl at school who was mean to me today be smited? Right? Like, they, they were using Old Testament language, right? Like, can we, like, all of these different things, like, it's just about asking, and we, we, we had to teach them and train them, like, listen, prayer is not just about us petitioning and asking for a million things. It's about us knowing him. And there is grace in this. There's sometimes disappointment, but inside of all of it, there is a key that whether God answers our prayers the way we want him to or the way that we don't, he is good. And we can trust him because his way, the way of Jesus, is better than our way. 
That's the definition of our faith, is that we lay down our lives for him as a living sacrifice and say, whatever I have is yours, whoever I am is yours, wherever you've called me is yours, my life belongs to you. It was bought at a price by Jesus on the cross, and so I've given it to you, and now you tell me what to do with it, and I'm going to trust your way rather than my way. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, gives us a formula of how we live in the kingdom. Last week, we talked about putting on victory. We put on the victory of Christ, and we use this definition. It says, to be heavenly-minded means that a person sees the world around them through the lens of heaven and allows that perspective to affect every thought, every action, every decision they make in order to make the greatest impact here and in the age to come. To be heavenly-minded means we see everything through the lens of heaven, And so Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, gives us a formula of how do we live into the kingdom. What's the practical steps? A lot of times, Jesus speaks in riddles, and and, and he's confusing, and he says these kind of things that are hard to understand. But in in this portion, he's just like very, very clear. It's very, very practical. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. There's a three-part formula here, ask, seek, and knock, and that's what I want to dive into today. The first is this idea of asking, asking. Jesus has a key to discipleship. If you read the Gospels and watch what Jesus did, he's got a key. It's a level-setting question that Jesus asks over and over and over again. John the Baptist's disciples are following behind him, and they're just kind of like, we don't know what to do. He just told us to follow you. John the Baptist is the only preacher ever who told his church to follow somebody greater than him. Right? He was like, go follow him. He's better than me. Right? And so all these guys are following behind Jesus. They're just awkwardly there, and Jesus turns around, and he asks this question. What do you want? What do you want? This is the level-setting question that Jesus starts everything with. What do you want to ask me for? And we get afraid of that question. We get worried about that question because we know the scripture in Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is above all things deceitful. So what if my wants aren't God's wants? What if my desires aren't God's desires? But Jesus doesn't seem afraid of that question. In Mark chapter 10, he asks it over and over and over again. And I don't know if you've ever been in this conversation where it feels like something is circling around, where you feel like you've been talking about something, but there's something else that needs to be discussed. Like there's an elephant in the room. There's something more important that needs to be discussed. The word for this is circumlocution. It's a long, complicated word that means to cut to the chase, But circumlocution means like we're beating around the bush. We're just talking in circles. So Jesus has this beautiful way of asking questions that get us to the point. Like watch how he works in the gospel. He runs into people and he asks them the question, woman, where is your husband? What is it that you want? What's going on here? And so in Mark chapter 10, there's two instances of Jesus asking this question. What do you want? Mark 10, verse 35, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That may not be the best question. Right? Can you see automatically the posture of James and John here that's a little off? Here's what we see in Scripture. When people approach Jesus with humility, he gives them what they want. When they approach him with pride, he sends them away empty. It's 
part of Mary's prayer, right? There's this picture of when we come with humility, they're, they're, they're coming to Jesus like, we want power. We want to sit at your right hand. They got their mom involved. Like, I love that the disciples are like, mom, can you talk to Jesus for me? Right? Those of you who have, like, sons in their 20s, you understand. Like, can you do this for No, you're going to do that. You go talk to Jesus on your own. You figure it out. Right? That's, that's what's going on here. They got their moms involved. And then here's what he says to them. They said, we want to grant us that we sit at the right hand or your left in glory. And look what Jesus does. He looks at him and he says, you do not know what you're asking. So here's what Jesus is doing. And this is so important. It's why we have to ask. It's because Jesus helps us to discern our wants and our desires. So we've got a weird relationship with our wants and our desires. So like sometimes we're like the disciples. We're like James and John. Our, desire, our desires are off, right? I want something, but I really want it because it makes me feel good, because it's right for me, because it makes me happy. That's the way of the world, right? The world talks about our wants and desires in the way that it's like we just pursue them, we chase them, we run them down. Whatever feels good, we do it. Whatever's available, we grab it. We just do whatever. And so what we're taught in the church is there's a holier way to do that. We've got to flee from our desires. We run from our wants. We run from those things. But I think Jesus is giving us an, a, a third way, which he always does. And he's saying, no, this is what you do with your, your wants and your desires. You submit them. You surrender them. You bring them to me and you ask, this is what I want. And sometimes Jesus, like he does here with the sons of Zebedee, says, you don't know what you're asking for. And other times he gives you exactly what you want. Mark chapter 10, verse 51. This is just a couple verses down the page. It says, Jesus runs into the blind man, Bartimaeus, and he says, what do you want to do for me? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has made you well. We lay our wants, we lay our asks, we lay our desires at the feet of Jesus. And we say, Jesus, will you teach me? Will you teach me for my wants and desires to represent your will? And when that happens, we get the keys to the kingdom. When that happens, he gives us what we want. We read this passage and we're like, awesome, Jesus is going to give me whatever I want. We were doing an exercise once. I was in a room. I was doing a training. We were doing an exercise around this, and we had people name, like, what's, what's the thing that you want Jesus to do for you right now? And, and people were just saying these beautiful things, like, my, my daughter doesn't know Jesus. I want her to know Jesus. I want her to be a follower of Christ. Uh, my, my mom is sick. I want her to be healed. My, I, I lost my job, and, and I want to make an income. Like, people are naming all of these things, and there's this teenage boy in the back who must have been, like, 19 years old, and, and we get to him, and he's like, I want to be a rock star. And I think that's okay, right? We learn to submit and surrender our desires to the Father so that he can teach us the difference between our will and his will, so that he can teach us the difference between my way and his way, so that he can help us sort out all of these different things. Imagine if all the prayers you had prayed when you were 19 had been answered. My life would be a disaster right now if God had given me what I'd prayed for when I was 19. Country musicians kind of get this right, right? I'm not a country musician fan, but I'm, it's growing on me. Like there's, there's like a soulful country, like a Chris Stapleton. I can, get, I can get down with that. I can listen to that. And then there's like the, then there's like the way, like this is way too, like this is backwoods country. I can't, I, I love y'all in Georgia and I love your trucks and your hats and all those, I can't, but I can't do the backwoods country stuff. And then like, can I just name this now? And I, I really, it's really important for me 
as your pastor, that we all understand this. Country music and rap music put together is blasphemy. <laughs> like, it, it should not happen. It cannot happen. Like, if there's anything that the people of God should stand against, <laughs> it's, it's the, I'm being silly. Um, I, I, there's all these country music songs about, like, thank God that you didn't answer my prayers. And I think they're on to something with some of that. I think they're on to something in saying, like, thank you, Lord, for the things that you didn't give me because my wants didn't align with your wants. And if you had given me what I wanted, my life would be a disaster right now. It would be a hot mess right now. And so sometimes we read this passage and we think, okay, now I get whatever I want. I just bring it to Jesus and I just ask him for whatever I, I want. But Jesus is teaching us that when we ask for the kingdom, when our asks align with his will, we get what we want. But asking is the training ground that teaches us to align. We bring it, we submit it, we surrender it. This is why the word co-discernment is so important for our church. We really believe in this idea that there is not one or two people here that hear from God and that they bring the message of what God said. We believe that we are all co-discerning what God is saying. We're discerning what God is up to. We gather in this room on Sunday mornings every single Sunday, an hour before the service starts, and we've got 30 or 40 people in the room. I'm starting to call it first service, right? Where people are just praying and asking God, what do you want to do today? What are you up to today? Where are you working? Where are you moving? And there's not a single Sunday that's happened since we started doing this about a year and a half ago where I don't take something out of what was prayed over and apply it into the message that we have here. We're discerning together. What is God up to? What's God doing? Where's he at work? How's he moving? All of those things. And, 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 and so we, we trust that we can align these things. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said this. I love this. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. God wants to give you the kingdom, but he wants to teach you to want it. He wants to teach you to discern it. He wants to teach you to surrender your kingdom for his kingdom. And the greatest way we do that is we ask boldly. And so this morning, I think there's people in this room who need to start honestly asking Jesus for the things that they want to ask him. And let him teach you through your asking. Let him teach you through your bold prayers. Let him teach you through that working. The second step in the formula is not just to ask, but it's to seek we don't just ask for what we want. We go out and we seek the things that God wants. Scripture teaches in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first means it's a priority. It's the first thing that we do. It's, it's the number one thing of importance to us. If we're going to seek out a lot of different things during our day, the number one thing that we're called to seek out is the kingdom of God. We're seeking out, where are you at work, God? How can I join you in what you're doing? Where are you moving? In my office, in my home, in my drive to work, when I'm getting gas at the convenience store and I'm buying a pack of gum. Like, where are you at work in this place? And, and, and our, our life is this discipleship training ground where we learn to interpret where is God at work and how do I seek the kingdom and how do I join him where he's at work? We're constantly in this process of learning this priority. We're surrendering our wants. They're submitted to God, and then we're seeking out the places that he's called us to do. Uh, when I was getting discipled, uh, one of, I, I, I was learning how to be discipled in the prophetic. 
I was learning how to kind of interpret what God was doing, how to see where the Spirit was working, how to give prophetic words, how to pray for healing, all of these things. And so I found somebody who I trusted and who I believed looked like Jesus to me, and I asked them to start mentoring me and discipling me, and I had no idea what I was stepping into when I did it. Because this person was, was courageous, like super courageous, and would always send me out to do stuff that I was like, I've never done this before, I don't wanna do this. Like, can you send me to do easy tasks? And one of the things he asked me to do for a season was every single day of my life, I had to give one hour to Jesus where I would go to a public place and start praying, Jesus, what are you up to here? And whatever Jesus told me, I had to go and do what he told me to do. It was super awkward sometimes. <laughs> I'd be walking around, like I'd be down at the square. I guess taste the Marietta today, which is delightful down at the square. Um, but don't go down there because we need your parking space. Uh, but that's happening today. But, but, if, but, if, but I would be down at the square, like wandering around, and, and I would see somebody, and I would just feel like, all right, the Lord's drawing my attention to that person, and I would just start praying, Lord, what are you doing? Like, what's going on with this person? Sometimes I'd get a sense, sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes I'd just walk up to people and just be like, hey, I, I'm, I'm here, and this guy told me to come here and pray, and Jesus is making me do this. And can I pray for you? And sometimes people would be like, you're the weirdest guy. Get away from me and just run away. And other times, like, breakthrough would happen. There's a time this guy was there, and I had this vision in my head of, of, a, of a field and certain things going on in the field. And I just walked up to him, and I said, hey, I, I don't know you, and I know this may seem weird, but God gave me this vision, and I wanted to give it to you. And if it's, I, I tried to do it in the most humble way imaginable. Like, if this doesn't work for you, then just get away and don't worry about it. But if there's something for this, just... I think God's asking me to do this, and maybe it's more about me than you, but here it is. And I gave him a word, and he instantly started crying. And I described the field in which his brother died in the vision that, I, that God had given me. And so there was these moments. But, but I, like, I look at my life now, and I'm, I'm a pastor. Like, I, I do the work of Jesus. And I can't remember the last time I drove to a public place and spent an hour and just said, Jesus, what are you up to? What are you doing? Like, here's our challenge. We're so busy that we only give God our spare time, and none of us have spare time. And so it's so hard for us to seek the kingdom. It's so hard for us in those awkward moments to step up and to be bold and, and to stand into it. And there's two reasons why we don't do this. One is we don't believe that God is good. We believe that he's going to send us somewhere and something crazy is going to happen. And, and listen, my, my, my proposal to you is not go to the square and pray. That may be what God's calling you to do. Great, let's do it. But, but, but maybe it's just being aware in your workplace. God, what are you up to? What's happening? Like there are signs everywhere of what God is up to and what God is doing and this person is hurting and this person is struggling and how do I encourage and how do I speak a word and how do I stand beside and how do I love but we don't believe that God is good because that's tough and that's hard because he's inviting us to do hard things. I, I, I need you guys to understand this. If we're gonna follow Jesus, I mean really follow Jesus, he's going to make you do things you don't wanna do. And if that is not happening in your faith, I don't know who you're following. When I get in a place where I just become comfortable and I feel like, oh, everything's good, this is great, this is comfortable, this is easy, I just, like, if I'm preaching every week and Jesus is like, just say real easy things, just say real nice things, just make everybody feel good, 
give him a hug on the way out. If that's what I'm doing, I'm not being faithful. Like we've got to step into the hard places and the tough places and we've got to seek first the kingdom of God. And the second thing, which is sad, is that we don't believe the kingdom is worth pursuing. We actually believe my job is more important than the kingdom of God. My success is more important than the kingdom of God. My daughter's soccer team is more important than the kingdom of God. Whatever is more important than the kingdom. My nachos that I got to eat today are more important than the kingdom of God. We, we live in such a way that we don't prioritize the kingdom. And so for some of you in the room, I want to challenge you today that in the next few weeks, in the next few months, Jesus wants you to seek him. Like really seek him. Not just like when you're playing hide and seek with a little kid and they're hiding and you know exactly where they are. They're hiding behind that mic stand and you're like, yeah, I can see your whole body, right? I know that you're there. Like he wants us to seek him like everything is on the line. Like everything is on the line. We're seeking him and chasing after, which leads us to the third part of the formula. We ask, we seek, and then we knock. I love this because knocking on doors requires action. Like it requires, like I can ask in my head, I can seek in my internal and in my mind, but to knock means I go. I actually put one foot after another and I move. Uh, I run an organization that trains kind of dreamers to start the dream that God has placed in their heart. And so we work with uh, for-profit leaders who are starting businesses that are redemptive and have some kind of way in their business that they're sharing the gospel or sharing the good news. We work with nonprofits who are building ministries and training up people. And we work with ministries and microchurches and churches to launch the thing that God has placed in their heart. I, 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 I'm getting older, and as I look at my life, I, I think the second half of my life, I want to commit my life to helping others find the dream that God has for them and to live that out. And so we started this business about a year ago. We've been living into it. We're seeing all this fruit and all these fun things. But one of the things we developed was this, like, reasons why discipleship isn't working in the American church. And I think all of them have to do with knocking. Can I just read some of these for you? We've made discipleship more about the church growing than the world flourishing. We've made disciples in a classroom at the church, but not on a road in the community. We've never actually asked our disciples to build anything or go anywhere except the church on Sunday. We've created discipleship systems that reward success and never reward risk or failure. And we've made discipleship all about leaders pouring in versus leaders drawing out. Like those are six like significant things we see happening in the church right now where what we've done is we've focused all our discipleship on the building what's happening here on Sunday instead of building the world around us. Like this is so contrary to what Jesus did. Like we just read the passage. Jesus said, go, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Go to all of these places and make disciples. That's my final word. That's my last statement. My last call on you is to go knock on the doors. Get outside the walls of the church. Build something out there. And we're so caught up in building our dream, which is we're going to have the biggest church in town. We're going to have the best band. We're going to have laser lights and smoke and I, coffee. I don't know what else we have. Better cameras. Like, I don't know what we have. Like, can I be honest? I don't care about any of that stuff. Like for those of you who are followers of Jesus, 
who know him, have accepted him, who are following him. Your eternity is secure. I love you, and my job as your pastor is to equip you to go reach somebody else like you. Right? Like, the church is the only organization that exists not for itself. We literally exist for the neighbors across the street, for the kids at the high school down there, for the people that live in these houses right here. We exist for the people that are staying in, 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 the, in the homeless shelters right down the street. We exist for the people who can't pay their rent this month. We exist for the people who are hurting, who are broken, who need to be freed, who need love and need to be cared for. This is why we exist. And we've accepted the idea that we can ask and we can seek without ever knocking. And I think if we want to see revival in the American church, here's the greatest thing that's going to happen. If we want to see revival in the, in the American church, you know what happens? The priesthood of all believers happens. We stop saying, I'm going to bring people on Sunday to my pastor, and we start saying, all of us are pastors. All of us are the sent people of God. All of us are the missionaries who've been sent to our workplaces. Like, do you view your workplace as your mission field? Do you understand that you have been anointed and prayed over and sent to your workplace in the exact same way that I was anointed and prayed over and sent to this pulpit? Every single one of us, we are the sent people of God. And listen, like, just imagine the impact we can have. Imagine the difference we can make if all of us are living out the kingdom thing that God has placed inside of us. There is a good work that has been prepared for you in advance. God's placed it in you. He's given you everything you need for it. And some of you are wasting it because you're using it for your career and not for Jesus. And the calling on our lives is to take the thing that God has placed in us and to leverage everything we have for the kingdom. Paul, Paul has this passage where, where he says this, and I've told Sarah, this is my tombstone. And it says, let it be said of me that I knew nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that can be said of my life, guys, I want it to be said that I leveraged everything I have for the kingdom. And I didn't do it perfectly, and I screwed up, and I messed up, and I did things wrong, and I had the wrong attitudes, and I had the wrong spirits, and I made mistakes, and I said, I made jokes about white people not dancing, and all of those different things. But I leveraged everything I can so that my kids would know Jesus. And I leveraged everything I can so that I can love my neighbor and serve and care, and the invitation is that we don't just ask and we don't just seek, it's that we get out the doors and we knock. And guys, I feel like I've been talking about this for two years, over and over again. Some of you have been around for two years, you're like, yeah, this is the same message you've preached 35 times. And you know what it is? Because I really believe that if we want to see revival in this place, the first thing that needs to happen is we walk outside the doors. And I believe that we can do it. I believe there's amazing things ahead of us if we just step into it. This passage ends with good news. It ends with this. So we ask, we seek, and we knock. And it ends with this. Which of you, if your son asks you for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask of him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do for you. This sums up the law and the prophets.
Here's what all of this is covered with. We can ask, we can seek, we can knock, we can do all of these things because we trust that God is good. Because we trust that he's good. And so I can ask boldly what I'm thinking about and what I want and what I desire. I can be honest with where I'm frustrated and sad and discouraged. I can tell him, like, I've been praying this for a year. Why haven't you answered me? And he can deal with our frustration and our disappointment. We can seek, we can chase after him and pursue him. And we can knock and we can do all of these things boldly because Jesus is a good father who gives us good gifts. And here's what I really believe today. I believe Jesus wants to give every single one of you in this room a good gift today. 